and welcome to 13, the bi-weekly podcast where one Colgate University community member answers 13 questions about their work. I am your host, Daniel DeVries, and today we will be talking with Colgate's Associate Vice President for Campus Safety, Emergency Management, and Environmental Health and Safety, Dan Goff. Goff first arrived at Colgate in 2010 and he honed his emergency management skills in the United States Navy as an officer on a fast attack submarine, a supply ship, and a guided missile destroyer. After the Navy, Goff worked at Rhode Island's Roger Williams University as the Director of Environmental Health and Safety there. At Colgate, Goff oversees the university's 40-member campus safety department. The university's environmental health and safety team, which keeps tabs on everything from fire prevention to chemical storage, and he's in charge of the university's COVID-19 response as the leader of the university's emergency operations center. Goff earned a bachelor's uh, of psychology at Brown University and his master's degree in emergency management from the Massachusetts Maritime Academy. AVP Goff, welcome to 13. Good morning. All right, so I'm gonna jump right into our questions here. And, you know, one of your many roles at Colgate is leading the university's emergency operations center. We call that the EOC here on campus. And for full disclosure, I'm a member of that group as well. Can you just talk for a minute or two about what the EOC is and how it came to be? Sure. The emergency operations center is a group of staff made up of approximately 55 subject matter experts from across the university who come together uh, during emergencies or crises on campus. And uh, this group works under a structure called the Incident Command System or ICS, which is a standardized, flexible, scalable, all hazard approach to managing emergencies and crises. Um, And they manage an emergency uh, when uh, there is a fire on campus or a hazardous material spill or severe weather, a power outage or a public health emergency like the COVID-19 pandemic that we're currently managing um, through the Emergency Operations Center. So, how is the threat of COVID-19 different from past EOC activations? It is very different. Uh, It is uh, different in its complexity, and it is certainly different in its extended nature. Um, About a year uh, to date before uh, COVID-19 hit the uh, United States and ended up causing the uh, students uh, to uh, return home uh, in March of second semester last year. Uh, we had actually done a training where we discussed novel crises uh, that were novel in nature uh, or complexity. And uh, we even talked about a uh, global pandemic and how we hadn't had one in a hundred years and we're overdue for one. Um, uh, this is very much like that discussion we had a year prior to the COVID-19 crisis, um, it is, uh, its extended nature has, has certainly been very different than the traditional emergencies that we've managed uh, at Colgate uh, in the past. Um, 
in both of those respects. So compared to other schools that have struggled to stay open for in-person education or that didn't open at all um, for the uh, fall semester, what has Colgate done uh, that separates us from other institutions of higher education? How are we managing this on campus that you think is, um, I guess, different than what you've seen elsewhere? I would say the enormous amount of planning uh, that went into development of our return to campus uh, plans um, and the robust nature of our testing. Um, our, our testing program is arguably um, more uh, robust than other universities. Our universal quarantine um, that we implemented is something uh, that I have not seen at other universities. Uh, while they've done uh, smaller versions, uh, all of our students uh, were in a 14 to 17-day universal quarantine upon arrival to campus. Um, that time frame uh, is by design because a potentially infectious uh, a person can be potentially infectious for up to 14 days, and by having all the students in quarantine in residence, um, that prevented uh, transmission of the SARS-CoV-2 virus. A lot of folks may not realize just how many moving parts there are in the day-to-day -day operations of a university of about 3,000 students. As you work to navigate the, the changes and adjustments on campus to manage the COVID-19 uh, prevention efforts here, can you give an example of maybe one or two things that are maybe behind the scenes or kind of out of sight, out of mind that most people don't realize are, are still need to be taken care of um, and they're still important to operations um, in the day-to-day -day here? Sure, um, I'll use a couple examples just from the past week. Um, we're required to conduct uh, fire drills in accordance with New York State regulations. Um, we had to do that in a manner uh, that uh, still uh, facilitated physical distancing um, this past week. Uh, we went over uh, how to support uh, hair care for students of color this past week um, since uh, th their uh, personal care needs can't be met in the local community. Um, uh, we had a, a event where we put fire pits on the uh, upper quads and had to uh, figure out how we could do s'mores without uh, having uh, potential uh, tr uh, uh, transmission uh, uh, opportunity there. Um, we have tents on campus that are for outdoor instruction this semester. Uh, we have to do weekly inspections of those to ensure uh, that uh, their integrity is uh, maintained from day to day. Um, this past week, we had uh, severe weather go through, <laughs> through the uh, local area uh, that required uh, setting off our mass notification system and evacuating all of the uh, students and, and instructors in those tents uh, at a moment's notice. Um, as we tracked the system uh, coming through, that system included uh, hail, uh, winds up to 60 miles an hour, some mesocyclone uh, activity, uh, didn't rise to the tornadic level. Um, but uh, th those are all things that uh, come, come up during the day that uh, you're managing uh, on an uh, immediate level while, while you're also doing the, 
uh, long-term planning uh, for student departure from campus, the winter break, the second semester. Uh, so macro and micro at all times. That's amazing. I mean, just from, from being in the EOC, seeing just how many things need to be planned for, it's really incredible. Um, I'm curious what, if anything, you wish the state or federal government would regulate with respect to how colleges are managing COVID-19 prevention. Um, are there any items that you were like, boy, I wish we really had guidance from above on this? Absolutely. Uh, I, I could That I could talk for hours about. <laughs> um, I've been, as an emergency management professional, career professional, I've been very frustrated by the fact that we have not had a, a national plan. Um, the plan was pushed down to the state and local levels uh, throughout the entire uh public health crisis. Um, a good example is uh, coming up shortly, vaccinations. There is not a national plan for distribution of a vaccine when it is ready. Um, they have directed the uh, state and local health departments to come up with their own plans for that. We did not have a national contact tracing application that could support uh, determining close contacts. Instead, we're doing it manually. Um, the strategic national stockpile, which is a cache of uh, supplies and equipment that is uh, necessary for um, uh, regional or national emergencies, was depleted prior to this public health crisis. And so as a result, PPE, personal protective equipment, um, and medical supplies were seized by the government to support Department of Defense and major healthcare systems uh, and, and businesses and agencies on a state and local level were unable to get those as a result. Um, hmm. So a couple things. Yeah, yeah, just a few. Uh, it really, it really is disappointing, and um, that that there wasn't. Yeah, more more national level planning uh, on on so many yeah on so many levels. Even the pandemic plan. I mean, the, you've probably heard in the news um, uh, that was disbanded several years ago. Um, there were there was a, a, a working group and char charged with that at all times. Um, that that's been in place for decades, and that was disbanded over the past couple of years. And um, it, history tells us that there will be global pandemics. Um, that won't change. There will be more after the COVID-19 crisis. Right. Uh, and, it, and it was um, derelict to, to uh, abandon that. So you're known uh, on campus uh, for your tireless work ethic, Dan. Uh, and I was told by a source who will remain anonymous from campus safety that you do not know the definition of a day off. Uh, can, can you maybe walk us through what a typical day in Dan Goff's life looks like during the pandemic? That is both a blessing and a curse, that work <laughs> ethic. Um, I honestly am on campus between 3.30 and 4 a.m. I walk the campus first, um, then come into my office uh, to prep for example, for an emergency operation uh, center scheduled activation. Uh, we do those several times a week. 
um, to take notes for an initial briefing and plan on uh, what assignments and work we need to do uh, in uh, that scheduled activation. Uh, again, both for uh, immediate needs as well as long-term planning uh, within the various sections of the Emergency Operations Center, uh, including the operations section, the planning section, the logistics section, and the finance section. Um, I'm still managing three departments, uh, so there's always work to do on that uh, level, um, concurrent with uh, management of the public health crisis. Um, and uh, taking time to support my staff and, and work with uh, our other constituents on campus and in other co collaborative ways uh, and with the students, mm -hmm. taking time out for the students, whether it's an interview for the Maroon News or um, help, helping a student uh, who's um, interested in the emergency management field and, and uh, is asking for guidance uh, on and career counseling. So. Nice. So COVID-19 isn't the first virus threat on campus. And in fact, we had uh, a, a viral threat uh, not that long ago. Uh, can you tell us about the last time the EOC was activated for a public health concern? Yep, uh, we had a meningitis case on campus. Uh, we immediately activated the Emergency Operations Center and uh, implemented our medical emergency distribution system plan or meds plan that includes uh, allowances for uh, setting up what's called a closed pod or point of dispensing. Uh, closed pod is a way to uh, distribute vaccine or prophylaxis uh, or other medical supplies in a public health emergency in a very short amount of time to a, a large number of people. Um, so we did that uh, so that we could um, provide a, a prophylaxis for um, the uh, meningitis uh, B uh, in our community. Uh, we worked with our local Department of Health, Madison County Department of Health, uh, Community Memorial Hospital, um, the uh, 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 local fire department and ambulance corps, as well as several other agencies uh, to stand that up and, and uh, get those uh, uh, needed uh, uh, medications out to, to, to prevent the spread and, uh, and we're able to do that. Um, we also did uh, our own contact tracing um, and, and met with the uh, students that had had uh, close contact with that case um, to inform them. We did a campaign on campus uh, to educate everyone about meningitis and um, how to prevent it. Um, that was in 2018, right? Yeah, it seems like 20 years ago. <laughs> I, I recall at the time, didn't the county say they had never uh, witnessed a, uh, a vaccine or um, a medical um, distribution site set up so fast? Yeah, they said they believed we had set a state record for uh, the shortest time to set up a point of dispensing and get that uh, valuable uh, prophylaxis in the form of Cipro out to our campus community. Uh, we did it in under four hours. Uh, wow. Amazing. Our medical emergency distribution system plan. So the, the public may also not realize that one of the most, you touched on this earlier, actually, but that, that one of the most dangerous and persistent threats on any college campus is actually the weather. Um, can you talk about some of the new safety measures you've implemented since you came to campus um, that help warn students, staff, and faculty of weather dangers? 
Sure. Um, uh, we implemented a weather warning system. Uh, it's called Weather Sentry. It's actually used by uh, major sports groups as well as uh, major city air traffic control uh, towers. Um, and it monitors uh, weather uh, in your area and gives notifications if there's a, a, a pending severe weather, uh, whether it's tornadic activity or lightning or high winds or um, uh, heavy snowfall, ice storms, whatever the case may be. Um, we're notified at, at uh, 30 miles and, and at eight miles, we put those radiuses on um, by design, uh, uh, first an alert and then a warning uh, respectively uh, so that we can uh, respond. Um, we do have a group, our environmental health and safety group is constantly monitoring. We have a duty uh, uh, EHS officer at all times that, that's monitoring the weather, um, even in uh, uh, the off hours, nights and weekends uh, using that system. Uh, we also set up a dedicated uh, weather station here on campus uh, a year or two ago. Um, we were seeing that the uh, weather forecasts uh, from the weather stations that exist in Utica, Rome, Syracuse, and Binghamton around us didn't give us uh, the exact weather data that we needed here. Uh, as everyone knows that has lived in central New York, the weather patterns can be very different only a few miles away. You can get 18 inches of snow in Casanova and just a dusting here or vice versa. Um, uh, so uh, that was very important to us. That's really been a game changer for uh, ac accurate weather forecasts and predictions, uh, including for major events um, like student return to campus or uh, commencement um, uh, alumni uh, weekend, reunion weekend, uh, things of that nature. Um, and uh, we also installed a outdoor mass notification system. It's a system of high powered speaker arrays and integrated speaker units across campus uh, that uh, goes out uh, to notify uh, folks that don't necessarily have their cell phone on them or aren't at a computer uh, to get a text message or an email respectively. Um, and that sends out messages. We, uh, as we stated earlier, we actually did that earlier this week. Uh, when we had uh, this system come through with uh, hail, high winds, um, and uh, heavy rains uh, and lightning activity, and, and we were able to alert the campus community so they could uh, seek shelter indoors until the system had passed uh, uh, and the all clear message was sent out. Issues of race in policing have been news for a long time now, and, and the subject is even more front of mind this year as millions have engaged in protests uh, across the country, uh, largely in response to the killings of unarmed black men. Um, Colgate's campus safety officers are unarmed, um, but I'm curious about the work your department has done to address issues of racial profiling, bias, uh, and equality. So, uh, as you stated, um, we are not police officers. We don't carry uh, weapons. Um, we're New York State licensed security guards. Um, that being said, campus safety officers are understandably associated with law enforcement. Um, so we are constantly educating the campus community that we are not law enforcement uh, and that our role is to support the health and safety and security of students on campus. Um, uh, and certainly um, to e educate uh, equity uh, in that process, 
and having an awareness and a sensitivity for diversity and inclusivity uh, in, in the work we do. Um, and uh, we're constantly doing that uh, work with the students, staff, and faculty. Well, your officers try to do, like you, you encourage like community policing and stuff, right? I mean, don't you encourage the officers to kind of be like, do, do they do friendly things around campus so they're not just seen as an authority? Oh yeah, yeah. They, we don't, and they give rides to people. I mean, there's you guys do a lot more than just you know get you know go after people breaking the rules. Yeah. So yeah. So um, so campus safety uh, does way more work than than just um, monitoring for criminal activity. And and if there was criminal activity, we would call the um, local law enforcement, whether that's Hamilton Police Department, Madison County Sheriff's Department, or the New York State Police uh, f for assistance. Um, our role is a supportive role on campus. So we are doing things like ride assist for students that um, have a uh, temporary medical condition that um, prevents them from uh, walking uh, to their uh, courses uh, or uh, other appointments on campus, including physical therapy. Um, we uh, help support events on campus uh, for parking and traffic control. Uh, we uh, are doing outreach with uh, student groups. In fact, uh, just before this interview, I was setting up an appointment with Res Life uh, to uh, have a meeting with uh, the community leaders and the campus safety officers to talk about uh, what's worked really well and what uh, are areas of improvement for second semester um, so that they can be collaborative and, and uh, start preparations uh, for a second semester in the presence of COVID-19 all over again and, and um, how we can support our, our students, uh, student residents uh, together um, more collaboratively. Uh, so things of that nature. How long were you in the Navy, Dan? I was in the Navy for uh, just short of 11 years. Okay. Uh, it was all forward deployed uh, at sea duty. Uh, the operational tempo uh, was 85%. Uh, meaning we were out at sea for 85% of the year uh, during my uh, time uh, in the Navy. I, as you mentioned, I served on a fast attack submarine as a navigator. I served on a, a oiler ammunition ship uh, as a uh, safety officer and communications officer, and then uh, on a guided missile destroyer as a weapons officer and combat systems officer. Any, any lessons you took away from your time in the Navy that you find valuable in your current role? Oh, uh, for sure. Um, <laughs> uh, yes, uh, certainly um, learned about the incident command system. Uh, that is the structure we use uh, in our emergency operations center. Um, one of my principles uh, that you know from the emergency operations center uh, is that no one person should be indispensable. Um, you need to have layers of support and redundancy. Everything in the uh, military it, um, has redundancy to it, uh, so that if there's a, a point of failure, um, there's a backup, a contingency. Uh, just one example of that is uh, I would not rely on just one laboratory to do our COVID-19 test uh, analyses. Uh, so we have several of them. Um, that's a lesson I learned in my career uh, when I uh, sent uh, samples uh, to a lab 
that uh, burned down. But that's a true story. We we uh, um, once a year we take samples uh, from the uh, the boilers in the um, steam plant, and we uh, we're required to uh, in accordance with environmental regulations. We have to take uh, a floor floor uh, uh, wall and fly ash um, to make sure. In the combustion process, it can create uh, some hazardous materials, um, and uh, to, to make sure one for uh, the uh, boiler techs uh, that work in the heating plant, um, uh, and also for um, environmental, because that ash um, has to be disposed somewhere to, uh, to make sure it's not polluting the environment. And so we have to shut down the boilers to take those samples. Uh, and we, we only do that once a year, and that's a long process because it has to cool down before you can take the samples and, and uh, do rakeouts and things of that nature, cl boiler cleaning. Um, so you have a very short window to take those samples, and then the, the plant gets um, spun back up. And uh, so we took those samples, and I sent them to the laboratory. Well, the laboratory burned down, and I didn't have a second set of samples, and we couldn't... <laughs> um, uh, shut down the boilers again. So um, that's an example, one example of why you have to have redundancy uh, at all times. And, and that's been fundamental in, in how I've managed uh, emergencies and crises in the Emergency Operations Center um, on, on campus. So for example, with the COVID-19 crisis, we have several uh, providers that, that can do laboratory analysis of our uh, various forms of testing. I'm curious about your path from uh, from college to the military and then to higher education. Now, when you were a student, I don't imagine you were thinking like, I'm going to be a campus safety director when I graduate. Um, what, I, I guess, what, it, was there any influences as you went through college, any mentors, or was there any kind of thing that, that led you on this path? Yeah, my path to higher ed and, and to Colgate has definitely been an interesting one. Um, graduating with a degree in psychology, I did not see myself as a emergency management professional, career professional. Um, in fact, after I graduated uh, college, I ran professionally for a number of years as a, a national a class distance runner, I qualified for the Olympic trials, um, ran for uh, Nike and, and Adidas and uh, uh, when my running career, uh, when I thought my running career was ending, um, that's when I uh, chose to uh, join the U.S. Navy uh, to uh, satisfy my sense of patriotism. Um, also, uh, to get money from the GI Bill for my graduate degree. Uh, I had originally planned on just going into the Navy for four years, but really enjoyed it. Um, uh, loved the camaraderie. Uh, loved. Uh, uh, serving my country and definitely loved being out on the water. <laughs> um, I love being on the ocean. I grew up on the beaches of South Jersey. Um, so that that's, uh, salt air has, has been in my veins for a, a long time. Um, when I got out of the Navy, I actually started a health and fitness club that I owned for about uh, um, 10 years uh, while also doing uh, international um, uh, security uh, consulting. And um, during uh, that time, I was living in Rhode Island. Uh, position came up at Roger Williams University as their uh, campus safety director and EHS director. Um, so jumped at that and uh, I have uh, fallen in love with higher ed. Um, uh, it's amazing. There's amazing people you work with. 
Um, it's a fun, energetic, intellectually stimulating environment um, with uh, uh, lecture, the lectures, the uh, public figures that visit campus, national and world leaders, concerts, um, thrilling competition at collegiate sports, and just the energy that students bring to your work environment every day. Um, so, um, yeah. What advice do you give to students who are thinking about a career in law enforcement or emergency management? Like what should they study? What kind of activity should they get involved in? You know, who do they look to as role models? I'm curious what you, what you tell students. I would, I would tell them to get, to get a, a diverse background and, and, and look at all areas of, of safety and security um, to find the one that's, they're most suited for and, and most interested in. Uh, but I think that makes you a well-rounded uh, professional. And I've certainly um, applied that uh, in my own uh, career path, uh, taking time to uh, serve as a fireman, as an EMT, uh, as an environmental uh, safety, uh, health and safety professional, as a uh, campus safety professional who works on the law enforcement side um, to, to, to have all, all of those um, to make you a well-rounded um, and, and diverse. Um, and you don't have to take the traditional career path. I guess that's the point I'm making. Um, some people uh, just take one path uh, to become a police officer. And I, I think you miss pieces of that. Uh, my uh, background is uh, a little weird with a psychology degree ending up as a emergency management professional, but I think that's uh, helped me as well um, to understand um, relationships and, and building relationships is really a key component to, uh, and the most important component to uh, being a good emergency management professional and, and uh, safety professional. You've reached question 13. See, that wasn't All so right. bad, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> So, you know, you, you mentioned this a little bit earlier, but I want to dig in um, a little bit here. So you were reach, you were featured in the Colgate Magazine article about the university's EOC. Uh, and I learned a bit about you that I didn't know. And that piece was by Mark Walden. Um, and you mentioned that you were a Nike-sponsored marathon runner. Now, I had no idea about this. Um, are you still a runner? What was your best marathon time? Like, tell me more about your time as a runner. Yeah, you'd never know it with the weight I've gained. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, even, I, even more so during the COVID nineteen crisis, you either gain weight during this crisis or you lose weight during this crisis. <laughs> I'm on the wrong side. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so uh, uh, I ran late into my forties, uh, even at a, a national class. Um, my ankles are pretty shot now. Uh, I still love running. It it puts a smile on my face. Um, my wife always says when I come home from a run, I have this glow. Um, I miss that. Yeah, I've had two, two ankle surgeries and can't, can't run anymore. Uh, sorry, Dan. Well, I'm glad you're running campus safety and environmental health and safety uh, and all the emergency management on campus. Um, you know, thank you so much for everything you've done. Um, I think it's only fitting that you are uh, our guest on this uh, is our one year anniversary episode of the podcast. Um, and I can think of uh, no better person to, to join me. So thank you, Dan. Um, tell your friends and family about the podcast. 
Uh, if you have any questions or things you'd like to see us cover, send an email to 13 at colgate.edu. That's 13, the number. We would love to hear what you think. Uh, thanks again, uh, AVP Goff. And as always, keep asking questions. Quick addendum to the podcast. You'll probably notice that the last question when Dan was talking about marathon running, he, he didn't share his best times. And I thought all the runners listening to the show might be interested in what those were. So I can share that AVP Goff has run multiple marathons in two hours and 18 minutes. And his best half marathon time is one hour and four minutes. So if any of our runners out there uh, do better or challenging that, please let us know. And uh, thanks again for listening. Thirteen is a production of the Colgate University Office of Communications. Audio engineering by Brian Ness. Logo art by Catrail Pritz. Executive producer Laura Jack. And I'm your host and producer Dan DeVries. Visit ColgateMagazine.com and ColgateResearchMagazine.com for more in-depth faculty research stories.